Um, I know you, like me, enjoy Miss Nancy's sermons every week. She always helps uh, me to think about the scripture. Um, so I know that doesn't replace this gift, but we love you, Miss Nancy, and we're so grateful for you. Um, our sermon series that we've been in over the last several weeks, I've been a little surprised. I, I, I try to do this every year, uh, and yet I think more people have reached out to me during this series and said, you know what, I really needed to to be mindful of, of this during this particular time in life. Uh, when you join the United Methodist Church, we ask you to make a commitment to support the, prayer, the church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. And even if you're not a United Methodist, even if you've never joined a United Methodist church, I would suggest to you that this same commitment is one that you make to whatever church you join, whether or not you actually say the words or not. There is this expectation that for as long as you're a part of that community of faith, that you would support it in lots of different ways. You would support it by praying for it. You would support it by being present for worship and the other opportunities that there exist in the life of the church. Um, you would support it with your gifts, both the gifts that you have uh, that God has innately given you and, and your financial gifts, and, and then the way you serve, the way you live out your faith, and, and then your witness. All of those things are absolutely important. And so every year I like to just sort of remind us uh, of those commitments that we've made and ask us to just do a self-check. How, how am I doing in keeping the vows that I have either intentionally made or, or, or unintentionally made when I unite with a community of faith? And so today we're talking about uh, how are we doing with our gifts? Um, so I picked this passage from First Kings. It's a, it's a story in the life of Elijah. You might be familiar with Elijah. In this particular part of the story, uh, Elijah is being told, has just been told by God that it's time for him to leave Israel. And the reason why he's been told that it's time for him to leave Israel is because he is in the midst of a power struggle with Israel's king, King Ahab. You see, King Ahab is an evil king. The scripture, which it says this a lot, but King Ahab at his time was the most evil person that had ever served as king. He was more evil than all the other people before him. And King Ahab had been seduced into believing that the Canaanite god Baal was the god of rain and therefore the god of life. And Elijah had pushed back on King Ahab a little bit and said, no, Baal is not the god of rain and life. The one true God, the Lord God, my God, the God of Israel, is the God of rain and the God of life. Now, these are bold words to speak to a king. And they're also words that can get you killed. You, you see, um, Ahab has a very mean temper. And so he is pushed back on the king of Israel and and God is afraid that this evil king will respond in anger and try to hurt 
Elijah. And so he tells Elijah, I want you to leave Israel immediately. And I want you to go to this particular place and there I want you to hide. And Elijah does exactly what the Lord God commanded him to do. He goes to this very particular place that God had described and he hides there. And while he's there, God feeds Elijah through ravens. Now, this is unconventional. This is unexpected because ravens are unclean animals, according to God. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 11, verse 15, it says that ravens of all kind are detestable, but especially Baltimore ravens. Actually, that's not what it says, but it does say ravens of all kinds are detestable and evil in the sight of God. And so here is Elijah being faithful, doing what God said for, for, God, for Elijah to do. And God is providing for Elijah in an unexpected way. Well, then God goes to comes to Elijah and God says that I want you to go in the middle of this drought that you've predicted, because that's what Elijah did. He told Ahab, not only is your God not the God of rain, my God is, but now there's going to be a drought to come on the entire land and it won't rain again until I say so. And so in the middle of this drought, God sends Elijah to Zarephath. Now, that's probably not the way that you're supposed to say that word. Reverend Martha tried to teach me how to say it correctly before the service. But I'm from Giles County, and there are some things that you just can't get over. So I'm saying Zarephath tells him to go to Zarephath. Now, why is that important? Well, that is important because Zarephath is the home turf for the God Baal, the Canaanite God of rain and life. He's going back to that God's home turf, that God who cannot seem to be powerful enough to stop the drought that the Lord God has caused to come upon the face of the earth. Zarephath is also important because not only it is the home of the Canaanite god Baal, it is also the home of Ahab's pagan wife Jezebel. And Jezebel, if you keep reading this story, will quickly become an arch enemy to Elijah throughout this story. So she goes, he goes to this enemy territory, and there he is told that he is going to encounter a widow who will provide food for him to eat and water for him to drink. Now, don't miss that either. That also is extremely unusual that God would use a widow to provide food and water for Elijah because widows in this time were the most vulnerable and destitute of all people. Because the male uh, leader in the home had died, they had absolutely no power, no position, 
no status in the community. They were very vulnerable. And so God sends Elijah to this woman to find something to eat. And when Elijah arrives at the city gate, he sees this sad looking woman walking around and picking up sticks. It is a sad sight. But Elijah, because of what God has told him, goes up to the woman and asks her for a drink of water and then asks her for a morsel of bread. This very vulnerable woman. She says, I don't have any bread baked. In fact, all I have is just a little bit of oil in a jug and a little bit of flour in a jar I've got just enough, maybe, to prepare enough for me and my son. And we will have one final meal before we die. And Elijah says to the woman, listen, I want you to do what I tell you to do. I want you to go and bake me a loaf of bread before you bake anything for you Or for your son. And I promise you. That if you will bake me a loaf. Before you bake you a loaf. There will still be enough left for you. To bake a loaf for you. And your son. And I'm even going to make you. A greater promise. That oil. And that flour. That you've got just a little bit left of. It'll never run out. For as long as this drought exists. Upon the face of the earth. And so this woman responds. And she agrees to go do it. Again, it's even more unlikely that she would say yes. Because she is not a follower of Elijah's God. Whenever Elijah introduced himself to her, she said, the Lord, your God, not mine. She is likely a follower of Baal, the God who has been unable to produce rain during the drought. And yet, she goes and she listens to Elijah and everything happens just as Elijah said that it would. Because she was willing to share from her flour and her oil, she not only was able to bake a loaf of bread for Elijah, But she had some left over for herself. And not only did she have some left over enough for herself, but we're told that the flour and the oil never ran out in her jar for as long as the drought lasted. Now, I'd like to tell you that things went off without a hitch. But unfortunately, things happen And here's what happened to this widowed woman. After she had given Elijah a loaf of bread and some water. After she had made some for herself. And even though there was enough flour and oil left over. That it did not stop having oil and flour until the drought was over. All of a sudden her son becomes ill. And he begins to have trouble breathing. And then he dies. 
And so she goes back to Elijah and she says, you know what? You aren't here to teach me a lesson about how your Lord God provides. You were here to expose me and my sin. And you were here to kill my son. Why did this happen? Even after I gave what little I had to provide for you. And so we're told that Elijah uh, prays to God. And he basically says to God, why in the world did you allow this to happen? This woman has been hospitable to me. This woman has provided for me. Why in the world would you let her son die? And then the scripture says that he goes to this son that is dead and that he lays down on top of the son and then he gets back up. And he lays down on top of the sun a second time and then he gets back up. He does it a third time. He lays down on the sun and then he gets back up. It's a visible expression of what Elijah wants God to do. This person who is dead, I want him to get up. This person who is dead, I want him to get up. And wouldn't you know it, that once again the Lord provides. The Lord brought back the boy from the dead. This is a story about how God provides for God's people. Even when we're not sure we have enough to share. It's a story that you will find over and over and over in Scripture. Two of the most um, uh, memorable ones that come to mind are, are the manna in the wilderness and how God said, if you will just collect enough for today, I promise you, you'll have enough for tomorrow when tomorrow comes. There's the story of the little boy that all he had was just a few fish and a few pieces of bread But because he was willing to share what little he had, God multiplied it and provided in abundance. And there was so much more left over. This is a story about how that when we are willing to share what we have, that God can use that and go beyond our narrow definitions and expectations and provide. God will use a raven, an unclean animal. God will use a widow, a vulnerable and destitute woman in the society of her day. God will use a little boy on a hillside with just a little bit of food to feed a whole lot of people. One of the greatest challenges for us to support the church with our gifts is because we're just afraid. I don't have a lot, whether it be talent or money. And I'm afraid if I give you what little I have, I won't have enough for me. And this story might be an invitation for us to just stop and think about it. What if I truly believed that if I shared what I have, that God would provide more than enough for me?
What would it mean if I didn't hoard my oil or my flour? Do we really believe that God will provide? I want to share one such story with you this morning that I think is pretty incredible. Someone I know. Uh, who, whose membership is in another church. They're building a new church. And so they asked the people in the church to consider buying one acre of land. I think I'm right in the number, but I think it was about $13,000 to buy one acre of land. And this person began to pray about whether or not she should Buy that one acre of land. $13,000, I don't care how much money you have, is a lot of money to let go of. But she became under conviction to give that money to the church to buy that acre of land. And then, uh, several months later, she decided to sell her house. She'd been given an amount of what was reasonably expect the house to sell for. And I kid you not, I, I don't make this up. You can't make this up. But the amount of money that she ended up selling the house for was almost identical to the amount of money that she gave to God and to the church. Now, I wish that happened every time we do it. We could really trick God, couldn't we? Okay, I'm going to give you a little bit here, and then you'll give me a little bit over here. But it's not a formula. It's just about obedience. It's just about hearing a clear and compelling call to do something. Wrestling with the fear that what if I do it and then I don't have enough? And then God responding to that fear by saying, you're going to be okay. I will provide for you. So all I want to ask you to do is to think about what you're able to give. Whether it be your talents, your treasures, your time. It really, it really is the same for all of those things. Well, I don't have enough money. Or I don't have enough time. Or I don't have enough talent. So why would I share it? And what the scripture says is that if you'll share it, God will provide in abundant ways for people around you and also for you.